Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Concussion Chats. My name is Emily, and I will be your host for today's episode. Concussion Chats is a podcast hosted by the McGill Students for the Concussion Legacy Foundation with the help of Nick from Concussion Talk Podcast. We are dedicated to providing hope and strength to those suffering from concussions through sharing experiences. But today, we have our first episode of our special edition interview series. During this series of episodes, I will be interviewing several concussion and TBI specialists. Today, our first guest is Dr. Hilary Duncan. She is a clinical psychologist with over 10 years of professional experience, including eight years at Concordia University, where she completed specialized training in neuropsychological assessment. Her training includes positions at the ADHD clinic, of the Royal Victoria Hospital, the Jewish General Hospital Memory Clinic, and the John Hopkins Hospital Neurorehabilitation Unit in Baltimore. She also works in her private practice in the Plateau. Hillary has been involved with several of McGill CLF events over the last few years and one of our biggest supporters, so we thought it would be fitting to have her as our first guest. Hillary, welcome to Concussion Chats. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do exactly? I know I covered some of it. I would love to. Um, Yeah, so a lot of what you went through is sort of the the training that I had throughout my PhD. All of the hospital names and stuff like that were different internships and practicum uh, experiences. And since then, I've mostly been working in the private sector uh, because unfortunately it is very tough to get jobs in the public sector in Quebec and also they don't pay so well but that could be like a whole podcast series on its own. (laughs) Uh, The availability of mental health services within public health care. So I've just been working in private practices. I started working Started out working in bigger clinics and then kind of just went out on my own for the uh, the freedom. Uh, and the fact that I've kind of fallen into being some sort of concussion expert is silly. <laughs> I find it silly. 
because it's just a default position. There don't seem to be too many uh, people offering therapy, psychotherapy, uh, post-concussion. Mm -hmm. So since I had this big, long background in neuropsych assessment, and I don't know if we want to go into that later, what the difference is between neuropsychology and psychology, we can. But since I had this background in neuropsychology, and then I started doing therapy, I kind of had both areas covered, the therapy area and then the understanding of the brain and all the things that go on in the brain. Very cool. Um, yeah, do, do you want to tell us just a quick bit about the difference between neuropsychology and psychology? Totally. totally. So uh, clinical psychology is therapy, basically. Like if you are working with a clinical psychologist, you're most likely doing therapy on probably a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Neuropsychology is totally different, but they're somehow lumped together in most schools. So neuropsychological assessment is you're sitting down with somebody for one, maybe two sessions, and they are assessing your language abilities, your memory abilities, executive functioning, and then they're writing up a huge report to either give you a diagnosis or to tell you your strengths and weaknesses. So you would see a neuropsychologist if you had a concussion, potentially, if you thought you had ADHD, uh, if you thought you might have dementia, all sorts of different things. If you were basically struggling with any sort of brain functioning, you would get a neuropsych assessment from a neuropsychologist. Uh, when you combine the two, then you are seeing somebody who has all that understanding of brain knowledge, but can also help you on a weekly basis with functioning in your everyday life. Awesome. And there, you think there's definitely an advantage to that when dealing with concussion? Based on having seen people who have had concussions for therapy who had been seeing somebody else before me and it didn't work out very well, there does seem to be an advantage. So I, I've worked with people who had concussions who wanted to do some therapy and they would get bad advice from people who have no experience with concussion um, or maybe even just kind of hit a wall with their other psychologists because the psychologist might not know some of the cognitive difficulties or how to get around them, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. We hear we hear a bit about this bad advice. Yeah. In the, in the support group. It's unfortunate. Um, do you think you could tell us a bit about how therapy can help with concussions and what issues it can address, at least yeah. in your experience? Absolutely. Um, so it's particularly good for people dealing with like persistent symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it can be useful for dealing with self-doubt. And by self-doubt, where I see that come up the most often is people get stuck in this loop of asking themselves, do I push myself harder or do I take it easy? Am I exaggerating my symptoms and babying myself or am I risking making things worse? And that right. like not knowing can be a really tough place to be. 
there is confusion and frustration dealing with conflicting evidence, like we were just talking about, from friends, family, even conflicting medical professionals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. a physiotherapist says one thing and an osteotherapist says another, and the doctor that you saw at the walk-in clinic said another thing. Um, Anxiety, obviously, is a huge one, so, especially the fear of re-injury. So for some people, this can get to a really tough place where they are actually changing a lot of their behaviors in unhelpful ways that can kind of spiral um, or almost leaning into sort of like obsessive territory and having a lot of intrusive thoughts and fears about re-injury. Right. Then, of course, there's depression and adjustment, right? Ad adjustment to the loss of enjoyed activities, to a stall in your academic plans or your career, uh, to even just the decrease in social activity can be really tough. Right. Um, going off a little bit of what you said in the beginning about um, the uncertainty and doubt, we did have a question that was posed from the group for you um, that says, do the benefits of returning to your previous level or active lifestyle outweigh the risks? Benefits being reduced depression and anxiety, which I think. Yeah, that's a tough question. It is a tough question. I mean, the easy thing for me to say is it depends on the person and each individual case, <laughs> but we can dig into it a little bit more than that. From my personal experience, I end up working with people who do hold themselves back more often than I've worked with people who have uh, sort of pushed themselves too quickly. Okay. That could just be coincidence. That could be that people who maybe are a bit more anxious seek out therapy more often. So for me, usually the people that I'm working with are not going out anymore. Uh, well, okay, COVID times. So remember that I'm talking about pre COVID for a lot of this. So okay. uh, people who stopped going to classes or who previously enjoyed music, loved live music and felt really anxious and uncomfortable exposing themselves to loud sounds and crowds and pulled back entirely. And the research shows that that's actually not the best way to approach things, that some sort of graded approach is better. Uh, because the more that you sort of wrap yourself in protective layers, the more you're impacting your mood, but you're also feeding into that anxiety and it can grow and get worse so that you, you know, stop going to concerts and then you stop going to friends' houses and then you stop going to the grocery store and then you are staying home most of the time. So obviously I can't say in general, the benefits outweigh the risks, um, but from the people that I've worked with often, they're well past those first couple of weeks of rest and recuperation, but they're stuck in that protective rest and recuperation mode. Yeah, 
I remember this when I was um, dealing with my concussion. At the end of the day, I decided it was soccer was done and I was done playing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to at least play like a couple more games or just get out there, kind of get some closure. And uh, I realized at one point I was only getting headaches when I stepped foot on a soccer field. Mm-hmm. It was like I had gotten so in my head, mm-hmm. um, so much fear was internalized that it was like my brain was hitting panic. Right. <laughs> so you're I saying like the second that ball. you were there, you were like, ah, I yeah. feel symptoms or yeah. 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 So it's almost like I needed to return to it a little bit to get out of that headspace and see that, mm-hmm. you know, I might be okay, but then. Yeah. It being Montreal, uh, I've worked with a couple people who uh, either loved cycling or were actual like uh, bicycle messengers for for their Mm -hmm. job and that was a tough one too besides sports that there was also this issue of like should I bike again ever because biking is dangerous biking in a big city like Montreal can be especially dangerous Mm -hmm. and for each person it really came down to no one can tell you the exact risk and it's weighing the risk plus how much value the activity added to your life. Yeah, I think that's one of the tricky things about recovery is I feel like we just want someone to be like, you can do this, this yes. and this, and don't do this, yes. this and this. And your concussed brain is like not getting that. And that's, yeah. all, that's, that's all we want. Um, yeah, if somebody so. could say like, no, you can no longer play this sport. It'd be a lot easier to just say, okay, I can't play it Mm -hmm. but if they're leaving that door open for you now you're responsible for making a decision based on nothing really based on yes there is a risk that you could get another concussion that you could get hurt again how big of a risk who knows yeah it's intense um so i think that you probably can answer this question as well posed from our group um (laughs) from your experience how have you seen concussions interact with previous mental health conditions including such as anxiety depression ptsd someone also asked um if people can develop or aggravate adhd post tbi so concussions completely eliminate all previous mental health conditions Okay. No. <laughs> what do you? <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> wait a second. No, unfortunately, um, concussions for some people will kind of reveal things that may have already been there that they had had the capacity to function with. ADHD being a big one, mm-hmm. um, because I also already separately work with ADHD. Um, uh, assessing it in in adults who have never who were not assessed as children who didn't get a diagnosis, uh, so I have some some background there as well, and there's definitely a way to tell whether somebody who had a, a TBI or a concussion whether they also have ADHD. Some people are afraid that they won't be able to get a diagnosis because they have had a brain injury of some type, but you absolutely can. Um, and you can't really develop ADHD in the sense that it was there before your concussion. 
but you might have been functioning fine. You might have come up with all sorts of natural compensatory techniques on your own without even realizing it. And then because of the TBI, now you don't have those abilities to make up for the ADHD deficits anymore. Okay. And so now it's just like all those things are out there on the table. And you could say the same thing for anxiety, depression, PTSD as well, that um, it could have been subclinical, right? Everybody has anxiety. Everybody has depression to some degree. They don't necessarily have generalized anxiety disorder, which is the diagnosed Mm -hmm. clinical term or major depressive disorder. But then it could be that after the concussion with all the different changes in your life and just with the reduced cognitive abilities that it kind of ups your symptoms to a diagnosable level. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Something I've noticed is that, um, I think you were kind of touching on it, is that I think we sometimes separate like the physiological concussion brain damage from like everything else or like trying to keep it in its own category but I found like uh, in my case I dealt with this concussion and then in the two years after I had two of my uncles die and my parents checked out and I was 14 and I kind of started to develop narcolepsy somewhere in there so it was like all these external <laughs> um so- sort of things happening that totally impacted my recovery um definitely affected how my mental illness uh, comes out. So I don't know if you can touch on, you know, kind of how the actual injury works with life. uh, Yeah. life. (laughs) Like like not separating those two, I guess they kind of do go together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's one of the best things about uh, the field of psychology is that now in I guess like current modern times psychologists really try to take what is called a biopsychosocial approach so you've got biology psychology social context right whereas just sort of the the medical field doesn't necessarily do that so like when you first posed this question and you said the 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 biological side of concussion it made me think of how when you're looking up clinics and resources for concussion, 99.99999% of what you're gonna find is physio and vestibular therapy and, right, it's all the very physical stuff. And it's all focused on return to sport or return to school or return to work. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, then that's it. They're like, okay, cool, so you're fine. We got you functioning again. You can walk, your eyes are good. You know, you're not too dizzy anymore, all of that stuff. Um, Whereas people have lives and things going on in their lives and that's gonna interact with the anxiety or the depression that might be there from the concussion. Uh, That's gonna interact with the cognitive deficits that are there. So luckily therapy can step in at that point. And you don't necessarily need a therapist who specializes quote unquote in concussion. It's just nice. It's just nice if it's available, 
right? Because you can be someone who has post-concussion symptoms or even post-concussion syndrome, and you can go see a psychologist to work on anxiety, depression, changes in your life. And that's fine. They will help you with that. It's just also nice if they can be like, oh, okay, what you're describing here is, you know, fatigue due to the concussion. Let's talk a bit about pacing, you know, or, oh, okay, it sounds like you're experiencing some multi-sensory overstimulation. Let's talk about different strategies for lowering that when you're out and about in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. I'm on the same page. <laughs> so um, this person had also asked, um, with regards to how concussion interacts with previous mental health conditions, um, how does that affect recovery strategies? And what I'm kind of getting is you take it, you know, as it comes one thing at a time, but, uh, yeah. And I think it, it really has to do with each person. So for some people, anxiety is going to be the predominant symptom and it's going to be, it could be anxiety about re-injury, like I mentioned before. It could be anxiety about what does this mean for my future? I don't know what to do. What if I can't do school? I was gonna go do a master's degree and now I can't. How am I supposed to become a teacher if I can't handle noise and overstimulation? So anxiety can come up for people as like the primary thing going on. Um, depression might take a similar form in that it's like, I have no future. I feel like there's no point anymore. I can't do any of the things that I used to enjoy. So in terms of recovery strategies, it's really gonna got to be individualized because everybody's different after a concussion in terms of what their biggest concerns are and how it affected them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Um... One thing you mentioned earlier, I think we have kind of talked about this at a previous time we chatted, is um, this post-concussion syndrome debate, post-concussion mm. syndrome, post-concussion symptom, what is it, does it, are we just caught up in semantics, what's, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that some of the people you're going to interview down the line who have more of like a bio neurobio basis are going to give really mm -hmm. good impact input on this i tend to just default to saying symptoms okay right because so the theory is that right now there's a, a syndrome there's a defined diagnosable syndrome where your concussion symptoms should have gone away by now and they haven't so therefore you have post-concussion syndrome okay um, you'll find tons and tons of, of research on it. So it is a fairly well-established idea, but since I'm not doing assessments or diagnosing anybody, I don't require a diagnosis. If somebody comes in and says, yeah, I'm six months out from my concussion, but I still experience, you know, X, Y, or Z, then, okay, cool. That's a post-concussion symptom that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather just break it down to that level rather than require somebody to meet a whole bunch of criteria and have a whole diagnosis. I like that. So when you have, um, so we have some people who are, you know, years down the road, right? Yeah. And yeah. it gets so difficult because I think 
there are some things about myself that I was like, oh, well, this is just a permanent situation. Mm. Like, this is just, this is from the injury. And then there, and then I've ended up in like vision therapy again, eight years, nine years down the road, and we're able to fix some of it. Um, But when you have people come in that, do you deal with people that are years down the road? Absolutely. Does that change? Are you still just taking it? Yeah, are you working on how to get better or just how to deal with the symptom? So a lot of what therapy post brain injury is, is about acceptance. Um, so sort of, I can't predict whether you're going to get better. That's what a lot of the medical research is about, right? Is like, if you're, if you're at this point and you have these symptoms, what's your prognosis? And they're not good at it yet because it's a really complicated (laughs) thing. So I can't tell a person whether they're going to get better in any sense. So the idea is like, yeah, that's a possibility. But in order to make any forward movement in your life, we got to work at you being okay with where you are right now, figuring out what matters most to you, what's meaningful in your life, what do you find fulfilling? what's blocking you from pursuing those things. Hmm. And sometimes what's blocking you is that you're sort of fighting back against all your symptoms or avoiding them or being protective of yourself, whatever it may be. Right. Could you maybe, um, because this is something that comes up a lot in the group is this balance between accepting. I think sometimes people hear acceptance and they're like, oh, well, that means I'm giving up. Yeah, and I have to live with it. Maybe you could talk a bit about acceptance commitment therapy and like how to deal with that sort of mindset. Yeah, even even the people who uh, I don't know if invented is the right word came up with um, acceptance and commitment therapy have said at various times like, "Dang it, I wish we had called it like willingness and commitment therapy." <laughs> so often you'll see in that literature in the self help books and stuff they'll call it acceptance and commitment therapy or act. And then really, really quickly in the definitions, they'll be like, okay, acceptance is not like, I love it. I want this. I'm happy here. Acceptance is maybe better termed as like willingness. And it's not, I'm willing to just give up and be where I'm at. It's I'm willing to stop fighting this and start moving in a better direction. Because mm-hmm. often we're putting all of our energy into like not facing certain difficult realities or putting all our energy into avoiding triggering negative thoughts or emotions. And when we're doing all of that and expending all of the energy in those directions, we're not moving forward towards the things we actually care about. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance. It's a common, common topic. I think it's brought up. Um, so another question, a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, are there certain, and this is kind of broad, but are there certain factors that trigger brain fog and what can be done to prevent brain fog? Oh, boy. So brain fog... First of all, I am I am in brain frog frog, frog city brain fog city right now. Um, so, podcast listeners, I am like 
three weeks away from delivering a baby, super pregnant. And that means lots of brain fog. So I've never related to sort of my concussion patients more than I have now because there's like word finding difficulties and forgetting absolutely everything and stopping mid sentence and being like, wait, what was I gonna, what was I saying here? So the factors that trigger brain fog, I mean, the number one thing is, is um, fatigue, tiredness, right? People without concussions, without brain fog, if they are tired, they are going to feel foggy. So if you've already got brain fog due to concussion and you're not getting sleep, that's going to exacerbate it. The other thing would be stress and anxiety. If you're kind of running yourself ragged or if you are not treating your anxiety through therapy or with the help of somebody else, then that's gonna increase brain fog. Related to that, worrying about your brain fog will increase your brain fog, which is always super fun. Um, So this is another one where acceptance is a huge, huge benefit. So learning how to like sort of relax a little bit when you're in a moment to lessen the pressure that you're putting on yourself will help you guide your way through that, those moments of really heavy brain fog versus noticing that you're in a moment of brain fog and you're trying to do something and that something is really important and then you start worrying about the results and about failure and about not being able to complete it, that of course is just gonna exacerbate the whole situation. With that, maybe, could you touch a little bit on mindfulness and how that helps? Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is a big part of acceptance and commitment therapy. And it is one of the most misunderstood like therapy techniques right now, Mm -hmm. especially because it's often referred to as mindful meditation. And so then people think, okay, cool. This is like a thing I'm supposed to do to relax myself. And I'm supposed to close my eyes and breathe and get to some Zen place and push away all my thoughts, which is the exact opposite of what (laughs) mindfulness is. Mindfulness is often not relaxing at all. It might end up being relaxing every now and again. That's just by chance. Mindfulness is more like a workout. I find mindfulness really awesome for both concussion and ADHD because what you're essentially learning to do is learning how to interact better with your brain's natural attentional abilities. I'm going to break that down. Okay. So what you are doing in mindfulness is you are picking something super, super boring to focus on. You're breathing, not really exciting. And as you are focused on the sensation of breath in your nostrils or the rising and falling of your stomach or chest, you're inevitably going to be distracted. Your attention is going to be captured or grabbed by some sort of thought or by a sound outside, and it will wander away to whatever that thought or sound or distraction was. The whole goal of mindfulness is not to get to some sort of space where that never happens because that's humanly impossible. 
right? Our brain is designed to be alert to other things at all times. It's not designed to just shut down and have a shield around it. So the goal is not that you will never ever be uh, distracted again. The goals instead are number one, that you learn to recognize, oh, hey, my attention's been captured by something else. I've drifted. I'm now thinking about my grocery list. I'm listening to the neighbors argue through the wall. So number one is you notice. Number two is you learn how to notice in a non-judgmental way. For people struggling with post-concussion symptoms or ADHD, when you get distracted, you often get super annoyed with yourself or frustrated because it's something that happens so often and derails your progress, right? If you're trying to study, if you're trying to have a conversation, whatever. So learning to recognize that you've been distracted, learning how to recognize as non-judgmentally as you can. And then third, how to disengage and bring yourself back. So in the case of mindfulness, you're bringing yourself back to your breathing. You might have to do this 100, 200, 300 times in a 10 minute mindfulness session. The number of times you have to do it is not an indicator of success or failure, right? It's more, how are you feeling? Are you getting better at the non-judgmental part of it? Are you getting quicker to notice when you first uh, sort of uh, lost your attention? And then what happens is when you practice mindfulness, since you're doing it with something super incredibly boring like your breath, the idea is over time, you can start to apply those same techniques of noticing you were distracted. Uh, <laughs> I forgot my steps already. Noticing you were distracted, noticing non-judgmentally, letting go and returning to things like reading a book or mm -hmm. studying or a conversation with somebody. So does that make sense? Is that an okay yeah. mindfulness summary? Yeah, I was gonna say I've worked on mindfulness uh, for a long time with ADHD and now it's mm. kind of like I just have this, like during this conversation, I've had a couple of moments where I'm like, oh, Ooh. I'm looking at that blanket. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let me refocus. Like, and it just, uh, it, the non-judgmental thing is so important. I find when I'm more tired, yeah. more stressed, the judgment comes out and that's when I really have to sometimes just step away from everything for a few yeah. minutes, calm down, come back. Um, and the more frustrated I get, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. um, but it really like over time, it, it's kind of almost the mindfulness. I call it my ADHD timer in my head. Yeah. Like it's uh, it's natural now. Like I just, yeah. I don't even think about it. It's like, oh yeah, let's refocus. Um, yeah. So yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah. I often just start calling it like attention training when I'm doing yeah. with concussion and ADHD, because outside of concussion and ADHD, sometimes it's really emotion focused. Mm -hmm. So it's all about being distracted by an emotion and then bringing yourself back to the present moment, which right. it's totally applicable there. It's just with concussion and ADHD, I think it, it can be applied so much more broadly. Yeah, I agree. I have one question for you as far as the ADHD and post-concussion. When, 
so obviously like attention span is yeah. something we struggle with mm-hmm. after concussion. Um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, do a lot, does that get better for people over time or do they just get better at kind of dealing with their attention or is it like, like sort of like the triggering the ADHD, it coming out, um, you know what I'm I, trying to ask here? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both. And I think, I think the amount of each category differs per person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like a, a lot of stuff with concussion, there is a, a pretty big improvement over the first two weeks. And then you have mm-hmm. all this residual stuff and how much residual stuff there is, is crazy how much it varies per person, right? Yeah. Some people have a concussion and they're fine. <laughs> what? And yeah, then yeah. there are, <laughs> yeah, wow. right? There are some people who have a concussion, they have really rough one or two weeks and, and then they don't really have symptoms following that. Um, but then for other people, they will have lasting effects. The, there are three things that contribute to the symptoms and, and our perception of our symptoms, right? One is the actual changes that are going on in the brain. So let's take a attention span, for example, right? So let's say there were there was damage due to the concussion that now you have a shorter attention span. You're more distractible, okay? Then there is sort of your anxiety about it. <laughs> and the more anxious you are about it, the worse your attention span is going to be. Then there is just your um, hyper-awareness, which I don't think we've even said once yet this podcast, which is a big deal in in concussion, right? Hyper-focus, laser focus on that symptom. So it's part of anxiety. But the more you look at something under a microscope, the more faults you're going to find in it. So it's not that you're creating out of thin air or imagining the symptom, but you are absolutely noticing the symptom more, which in Mm -hmm. a sense aggravates it. It does make it bigger. And that can be said of brain fog, uh, overstimulation, fatigue, dizziness, nausea. Nausea is a great one for that, where we could both be sitting here and if we start thinking about dizziness or our stomachs or our heads feeling weird, we can actually start to trigger a feeling of nausea just by mm-hmm. talking and thinking about it. Yeah. And that's something um, I think we hear a lot about is uh, I think sometimes our medical professionals try to say what you're saying, just maybe not very not as eloquently and yeah. it kind of comes across as minimizing yeah. symptoms. Um, and I think that's a very, it's a very tricky thing. Um, it's that balance between acknowledging that you have the symptom and not hyper-focusing on it. Uh, yeah. I, I have definitely worked with people who have been completely dismissed by medical professionals mm-hmm. and said that like, there's nothing wrong with you. Yep. And my point is, I can't look in your brain. Uh, we don't even have the technology to really explore these things, right? Like MRI doesn't answer these questions. So whether or not your symptom 
is of like a biological origin versus a psychological origin to me is am I allowed to say bullshit it is a bullshit question yeah because if you're having that struggle you're having that struggle yeah but I know how when you are the person having that struggle you want something more concrete yeah and sometimes that's what we're working on in therapy is that like I'm sorry you, you there is no way to have something more concrete. There is no definitive measure to say whether your level of fatigue or your level of nausea is organic or not, or is due to the concussion or not, or is just your anxiety. To me, there are ways to deal with it regardless. Yeah, I think that's something I grappled with for a long time. I wanted to know where it came from. Yeah. I, I needed to know where it came from and it was finally that acceptance of yeah oh well I'm just kind of anxious and I'm focused today yeah. and that just is how it is today and we're going to yeah. deal with that um it's uh it's it's tricky though mm-hmm. um last couple things this is also a bit of a broad question are there any recovery strategies you recommend that most people are not aware of oh, I know you touched on what mindfulness was um yeah. and ex- and breaking down acceptance and therapy obviously is a great option mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I don't know what most people are aware of <laughs> I know it's difficult <laughs> in the field <laughs> uh, but I mean like therapy overall would be would be the biggest suggestion that I have in case there are people who didn't know that therapy can help with so many things um, because often just the more medical physical side is pushed. So I would say like, check in with a therapist, whether you're, you know for sure or not that they could help you is go see a psychologist um, if you're stuck on something, right? If there's some problem that you're dealing with that you're stuck on, check with a the psychologist. They'll tell you whether they can help with it or not. I have the opposite. I have an answer to the opposite of that question. Let's hear it. Um, I think people get caught up in seeking help from as many venues as they can. Mm -hmm. And I understand why, but I've seen it lead to lots and lots of money being spent on various physio, occupational therapy, chiropractic, like specialist, 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 specialist. Um, And I think that 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 sort of like medical help seeking can be really tough. Hard to find the balance of, is this helping me? Should I be doing this? Or is this me sort of reassuring my anxiety and wanting to feel like I'm doing something? Right. And then the fact that you're seeing multiple people and you don't kind of have like a centralized somebody looking after everything can also mean you're getting conflicting opinions. It can mean you're getting straight up wrong opinions too. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming. And that's where I think, uh, not to toot your guys' horn for you, but I think checking in with other concussion uh groups or just other forums just checking in with people can be useful and getting opinions from other people because then you'll have somebody be like listen i think you're you're doing way too much or 
that doesn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If it's and I think it's a a little bit of that wanting it to happen faster. Sometimes yeah. it's worth it just to seek out one thing and see where it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, last question that was posed by the group, and I'm sure you could do a podcast on this question <laughs> alone. <laughs> But uh, how do we make neuropsychologists more accessible? Oh, it sucks so much. <laughs> it does. So I, <laughs> the only uh, neuropsychological assessment that I do right now is for ADHD and learning disability, um, simply because it actually takes like a long time as a neuropsychologist to do all the testing then you do individualized research on that client and then you write up this huge report. And then you charge what feels like a ridiculous amount of money, mm -hmm. but often you're not actually making that much money off of it because it took you so long, but you still feel right. like crap charging somebody this much because to them, they just kind of need an answer to a question and you're telling them, hey, sorry, you got to pay like $2,000 for this within the, the private system, right? Right. But the other option is the public system. And guess how long the wait lists are for adults to get neuropsych assessments in the public healthcare system? Like easily six months to a year in, in some places. Yeah. So it's tough because we definitely need more neuropsychologists both in private and public, mm -hmm. definitely within the public health care system. Um, how do we make it more accessible? I guess it would just be advocating, advocacy, right? Mm -hmm. Is the same, same way we still need more psychologists available through the public health care system. So they have been talking in Quebec, I don't know a lot about it, so don't super quote me on this, but they've been talking about trying to do more mental health coverage through RAMQ with private psychologists, Very the cool. way that other health clinics are kind of this like half private, half public. So that's yeah. one thing that they're thinking of. And if they did that with neuropsychologists, that would be great too. So RAMQ would cover some certain percent of it, percent of it awesome. at least. Yeah. Yeah, advocacy. Mm-hmm. Hard work. It is. Um, so I I don't have any more questions, but I really, really enjoyed this talk. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, this was super fun. I've always been so happy to join your guys' events. Um, someday down the road, I really want to offer group therapy for concussion. So I'm going to come knocking back on your guys' door to get help with setting that up and figuring out what would be most beneficial to people. So you can just be on high alert for that. We will be here. All right. I'll awesome. make sure everyone knows. Um, real quick, I just want to say thanks to Nick from Concussion Talk for helping us do this and put this up on this platform. And thank you again so much to Hillary for your time and for being our very first guest specialist for our interview series. Um, all right, guys, stay tuned for more of these episodes in the new year um, and keep checking our social media for an opportunity to submit questions for our future guests. Our upcoming podcast can be found on concussiontalk.com 
Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. You can find more information about our group on concussionmtl.com. Our peer-to-peer support group is free and open to everyone. We hold three weekly meetings on Zoom, which we will link in the description. And thank you so much, Hillary. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. HeadCheck Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada who rely on HeadCheck to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound. W www.bensound.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.